Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is March the 6th, 2019, and this is episode 2395, I'm sorry, of the Survival Podcast. I don't know what episode it is, I guess. I do know what day it is, though. It's Wednesday, also known as Hump Day, because we are through the middle of the week. But Wednesday here on the Survival Podcast is not Hump Day, it's Interview Day. That's where we bring on a special guest to talk about a specific topic. Today I have Joshua Sloan. Many of you may know Joshua Sloan, and you may not know his actual name. You may know him as P.A. Prepper. P.A. Prepper on Zello, one of the lead moderators there. Uh, he's a long-term listener and friend of TSP, and again, known by many in the community. He's been involved with the Zello crew since 2012 and with Citizens Assisting Citizens since their first formation in 2013. He runs his own consultancy and has a long background in marketing and technology. He's here today to talk to us about Citizens Assisting Citizens, or CACteams.com. Uh, i got to tell you, CAC Team is something that I actually conceived of. We'll talk a little bit more about that when I get Josh on. I conceived of it during Hurricane Sandy. Two days into the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy, I watched people in affluent New York neighborhoods climb into dumpsters to eat. Two days. These were not people who lived on the ground floor that had been flooded out either. These were people that lived in apartments that should have had food on hand at least a couple days worth, eating food out of the garbage. And some people in our community kind of mocked New York, which has a problem with preparedness. I even talked about they called the fashionistas. I'm sure some of the fashionistas were the people crawling into dumpsters. This was a story I covered years before 2013 when we formed CAC. And um, these were people that were keeping their clothes in their ovens and their refrigerators and not worried about food because they ate out every day. And like I said, some people in our, not our community, but in our space, kind of mocked these people for being so unprepared. All I saw were human beings so hungry they would eat out of the garbage. And I watched as people like the American Red Cross and FEMA apparently had their head deep inside their fourth point of contact. For those of you that are not in the military or are not good at context clue, your fourth point of contacts uh, is your, 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 your hips, which is really your ass. So in the military, when they say you have your head up your fourth point of contact, you have your head up your ass. And that was being kind to those organizations in the middle of Sandy. And all I could think was, if there were just people, just a little bit outside of this area, that could just find out what the hell people needed and, and stop buying stores. Not need to be anything complicated. And load up the back of pickup trucks and bring it there. It might not change the entire situation, but it would help some people. And I watched people giving hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to the very organizations that were failing and falling on their face and turning away volunteer help and volunteer labor and telling people that wanted to help that had supplies, go give a donation. And I thought something had to be done. And in my anger, I looked out at my big old red truck and said, why don't you get in that truck, Jack, and drive up there and do something? And I realized I wouldn't know what to do. They would probably turn me away. They wouldn't let me into the area. 
We'd have to have some kind of name or organization with people with some sort of training and some level of coordination to even be allowed into the area so that we could help. I was watching people with truckloads of stuff being turned away. So I knew that I couldn't just go there and do that. But I also had really built this into something. By then we were living in north, north uh, central Arkansas. And I was doing TSP full-time, had done so for several years. I was living a great life, and I was teaching preparedness to hundreds of thousands of people, as I am today. And I thought to myself, you are so effing blessed, Jack. You have so much. You have so much. And so many people listen. You need to do something. And realizing I did not know how to create a nonprofit. I did not know how to set up a team of first responders. I did not know what to do. I put together a team. I called it the Honcho Team. And to be honest with you, the first team, they talked a lot. They didn't do a lot. Josh was one of the people that hung in is the team of leaders, the board of directors, changed several times. And eventually, they really, and I mean this, they really got their shit together. And CAC teams became everything I ever wanted it to be and more. Along the way, there were great people that helped, like Stephen Harris, who gave a couple years of his life to this organization before turning back to doing his own thing. And the current board is exceptional. They're doing great things. And they are really geared, and it might not shock you, but they are really geared to help out mostly in the situation of a hurricane. That's where the damage is widespread. That's where the, 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 the people that are generally relied upon are overwhelmed. They can't do everything. That's where those people, not only can they not do everything, they can't accept that they can't do everything, so they become territorial. We've heard stories. Hurricane Harvey was a perfect example of where people brought food to feed people and were told by Red Cross personnel they didn't need them there while people were hungry. If you remember that story, it was a private pilot that flew food in, and they basically said, piss off, and they fed everybody. And I said, I want that to be who we are. We'll be nice. We'll work with others when we can. But damn it, if there's someone that needs food and they're there and we're here, we'll feed them. If they need water, we will give them water. If they have no power left in their cell phones and all they're looking for is enough energy so that they can tell their family they're okay and alive and they're going to be okay, we will do that for them. If they need to be pulled off a roof, if we can, we'll pull them off a roof. Whatever it is they need, we will do what we can and damn the larger organizations. We don't want to hear why we can't help. We're just going to go help. Again, I want to work with anybody we can, but I do not want to be held back by the very organization not getting it done. And in a lot of places where there's a hurt, uh, like a tornado or fires or something, um, the existing support apparatus does really well. It's a defined boundary. It's not massively widespread. They're able to get in and do things and help people. When you're talking about square miles versus hundreds of square miles, things are different. And that's where they've done the most good, is going in and helping these people in these massive, widespread disasters, and specifically finding the places where everybody else isn't, where everybody else has not gone, and going in and helping people. And I am so proud that that organization has become what it has become, and I'm very grateful 
that I was able to exercise the physical restraint to let that organization grow into what it could become by relinquishing all control and trusting the people that took over to do the right thing. And they did. Josh is here with us today to talk about all of that and more. He's going to tell us about their pledge drive for 2019. Really cool thing. Um, get yourself a cool silver coin, too, for being part of it. And this is what you need to know about Citizens Assisting Citizens. You give them a dollar, it's probably 94 cents in, in, that, in, in that general vicinity that's going directly to someone on the other end in need. I don't know if there's another organization. I'm not saying there isn't because that's not right. That's not fair. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, people like the Red Cross, right, they can't even come close to what we do of taking the money that's donated and putting it into things that actually help people that have a direct benefit. They can't even come close. I dare them to try. And if they ever did, I would say good. Maybe being challenged made you figure out how to do it. We're going to bring Josh on in just a moment. He's going to tell us about all the stuff that CAC is doing and has been doing and how you can be a part of it and how you can support it. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, ButcherBox.com. Guys, I love ButcherBox. I just did a video on our Instagram, which is at It's a Jack's Life. It's a Jack Life. And uh, what I wanted to show people on that little short video, which is about 40 seconds, is um, how you can actually order meat in the mail, and they can mail it to you. And yes, it's going to be good quality. It's not going to be defrosted and bloody and what have you. So the, the box, my butcher box for the month, showed up in the morning. And it was about 10 o'clock in the morning it showed up at the gate. Dogs barked, so we knew the mailman was out there. So I went and got the box. Threw it on the uh, dining room table, and it was like 7 o'clock at night. So it sat there all day in the box still after it got there. And I opened the box live on the video, and I'm slamming the meat down on clack, 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 frozen solid because of the way they package it. And then the meat itself is incredibly high quality. By the way, that video, I sent it to Daniel, my contact at ButcherBox. They've taken out the part where I'm like, we got bacon, clack. We got bacon, clack. We got bacon. There's like four packs of bacon I had that month. And uh, they're actually using it for their advertising, right? So they, they're proud of their association with us. So you should be proud to do business with them. I'm picky with me. If I, when we go to the grocery store, Dorothy's like, go get the steaks or go get this. She won't even try. She's like, or even if she does, she's like, okay, what, what about this? And I'll look at it and I'll say a word. She's like, Well, then you go pick it out. I really am. I'm that kind of picky. I, I want choice quality meat. You're paying a premium for it. You should get it. Hey, it's like having a personal shopper that meets my standards, that sends me meat to my house every month. Check them out today, butcherbox.com. Remember, with your discount, if you're an MSB member, you get free bacon for life. It's actually $10 a month off. Do you know what that means, guys? That means ButcherBox alone saves you $120 a year as an MSB member. So consider joining the MSB as well. Next up today, Harvest Eating. Hey, once you have all that great meat, don't you want to know how to cook it? Do an optimum job with it, how to make side dishes and all that other stuff? Check out Chef Keith Snow at HarvestEating.com. Blog, it's got that. YouTube channel, it's got that. Great products like seasonings and mixes and stuff like that, got that. You want to really take it to another level and take like a completely organized course in cooking? Paleo Beef Course, Food Storage Feast, he's got that. He's got it all. He's also a member of the Expert Council. He's been working with our show and serving this audience now one way or another for seven years as a sponsor, Expert Council member, and returning guest to the show. Check him out today, and remember, when they're loyal to you, be loyal to them. Chef Keith at HarvestEating.com. Next up, um, I have 
kind of stopped doing this, but I, I, I've said that I would bring things back if I saw something interesting to talk about. We used to do a history segment, and then the people doing the history segment in the TSP Wiki went away. So I don't have time to do that. So I started doing this day in history off History Channel. And today I decided to check out what happened this day in history. Well, on this day, in 1475, Michelangelo was born, contemporary to Leonardo da Vinci, and probably the greatest Renaissance-era artist of all time, undisputed. The two works that he is most known for, of course, is the Sistine Chapel and Michelangelo's David, um, a master of art. So today, in 1475, Michelangelo was born. What I think is more interesting, though, in putting away a myth that we have taken to be true, and it's damaged so much in our modern world, it's made us so much subject to control, is the myth that everybody died by the time they were 30, a long time ago. This man was born in 1475. When he died, he was 88 years old. He was 88 years old. Let me explain the apparent low, low age of death in the Middle Ages, during the Renaissance, colonial times, all of that. Number one, when there was a disease epidemic, it was bad, and it took a lot of people out. Number two, though, was how many people died in childbirth. You look at an average this way. One person lives to be 100, the other person dies at birth. Zero in 100 gives you an average of 50. You see how that works. There was a lot of childhood death. The truth is, though, for as long as recorded human history has existed, barring some catastrophic event like the bubonic plague or a blowing up of a volcano like Vesuvius, barring that, people that made it to adulthood that had reasonable shelter and reasonable food, lived about just as long as we do today. Medical science has done some things to help everybody get there, but they've done almost nothing to help people that were going to get there be around longer. And that makes us subject to faith in a medical system that today is more of a medical industry that wants to sell us on injecting countless things into our body and ingesting countless drugs. With a stated goal, to make sure that they get every single person they can on a medication for life. I'm not against modern medicine. I think it is a marvel. I think it does a lot of good for us. But if you buy into everything that's told because you really believe people got married at 14 because they would probably be dead by 30, then stop believing that. I did this very early on in the show. I took all of the, the, the main founders of the country, the top 100 most notable founders of the country, Uh, the United States, and the average age of death for, and they were all white males, okay, 72.1 years. The average age of death for white males today is 72.8 years. It's a myth, folks. Let go of it. And as you do, celebrate the birthday of one of the greatest masters of all time, Michelangelo. With that, let's go ahead and get our special guest on the show again, Joshua Sloan, Long-time listener and friend of TSP, known by many in the community as PA Prepper, been involved with Zello since 2012 and CAC since 2013. He's here today to talk to us about what CAC's got going on in 2019 and how you can help. With that, hey, Josh, man, welcome to the show. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. You know, I, I was saying during my intro segment that you are a long-time friend to both CAC teams uh, and the Survival Podcast and the sub-communities like the Zello Channel and... The people in Tennessee and everything, man. So, like, I think people kind of know that. But, like, 
you're also kind of into technology and stuff. So take us back, like, I don't know, you're sitting in high school spacing out in study hall or something. How, what led you down, just so the audience kind of knows who you are as a dude, like, to where you now work with technology and websites and all that kind of stuff? Like, what did you do professionally? Did you go to school? Like, that kind of thing. Sure, sure. Well, my career was uh, kind of from the very beginning was a very strange twist for me. I didn't in high school imagine that I would be working with technology and I went to college, believe it or not, to actually study uh, cultural anthropology and history. Okay. <laughs> however, however, while I was in college, uh, it was 1992 when the first web browser came out uh, developed by some students at the University of Illinois where I was attending and I had a, a lifelong passion at that time of aquarium fish, and there really wasn't very many people at all on the Internet in 1992, 94, uh, really selling uh, aquarium fish. And so I thought, you know what, I can build a website. I'm smart enough to do that. And and uh, it was a very crude Generation 1 website, but it really it blew up, and it made me think, wow, this is there's something to this e-commerce stuff. And the uh, so I realized pretty early that the power that uh, the web was going to have for me uh, personally uh, and the kind of entrepreneurial spirit that I brought with it. Um, the fact that I had that uh, web experience early on in the very early days of the web led me to um, teach uh, HTML at a community college to give uh, private seminars and sessions to uh, local local groups for free. And that steamrolled into a job in a software company, uh, automotive CRM software company that needed some help with its web and, and its marketing. Uh, and that uh, really was the, the, the thing that kind of hooked me. And uh, so from there, I went to the University of Advancing Technology in Tempe, Arizona, where I taught and worked. And um, from there, I went to a, a very large, uh, I'll leave them unnamed, internet hosting company, uh, a multinational. But it took, only took about four years, four and a half years, actually, before I realized I really want to work for myself. I've been doing side hustles for 15 years. I really need to make that thing my my focus. And so uh, I took a bit of a hit in the earnings ladder, but a massive leap up in the personal satisfaction and happiness level. Cool, man. I didn't know you were a fellow fish nerd. I did yeah, not know. Yeah. I uh what I was known for was the Siamese fighting fish. Okay. Uh, I uh, we did a lot of other things, but we've probably shipped 10,000 fish between 94 and and 99 through the through the mail. We kept trying to get the post office to make a commercial out of us, but they they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've kind of gotten me back into it, I have to say. I've been tempted to do a Jack, you're a jerk uh, call-in. <laughs> you know, with yeah. Joel with tanks or whatever, yeah. Oh, my God. We had uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of mason jars for the Siamese fighting fish and dozens and dozens of breeder tanks. I mean, the whole place. It was, so, it was such an obsession at the time that I was actually the head of the local aquarium society, and we went to fish auctions and fish shows and competitions and all the whole bit. Awesome, man. So before we go down that road, let's let's rate it back in and let's talk about CAC. And I've kind of told the audience, like, the part I played in the creation of CAC, you know, basically it started with seeing people that were two days into a disaster from affluent parts of Manhattan climbing into dumpsters. 
And while there were some people in our not our not our community, I got to say that, but in our space and the you know the prepper forums and all, kind of mocking them as being unprepared. Like all I saw were human beings without food, and then I saw like FEMA fall completely on its ass. I saw Red Cross fall completely on its ass. I'm like somebody needs to do something. And I I was actually at the point like I'm getting in my truck and I'm driving to New York and I'm like, well, what am I going to do when I get there? Right, like I have, I have right, no right. credentials. I can't get in. I have no certifications. No one's going to let me help. Like, and I'm like, okay, well then, with all this you have and all this reach you have, you 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 need to do something. Yeah. And uh, so I came up with the concept, put together a team. You got involved right away. You're one of the few people that got involved right away that are still here because it did not go well at first. Yeah. But you guys have made something really amazing out of it. What made you step up and say I want to be part of this? Well, as you mentioned, I was already an avid TSP fan when when CAC first formed, and I really believed in the mission and decided to join because I knew that even a small organization could leverage technology as a force multiplier to help others. And since technology is an area where I have uh, a lot of experience, I was pretty sure I could 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 really help. Uh, I'd already spent you know, hundreds of hours at that time using Zello and Glimpse and, and helping TSP listeners network together, uh, meet, doing meetups and, and using this technology to facilitate, you know, building a, the community and, you know, learn, helping them learn how to use the, the tools. So it really kind of seemed like a natural fit for me. As you've been involved, what are some of your more memorable highlights uh, from past activities at CAC? Yeah, that, that's a big question because there, there's so many memories, but, you know, the CAC her, uh, responses to Hurricane Harvey and Florence and Michael are, are sort of the first things that come to mind because over the course of those three deployments, uh, CAC kind of evolved and, and learned a lot about what worked for us and, and even some things that didn't. We On those three deployments, we probably had about 75 total volunteers, remote and, and local, and thousands of dollars of aid was delivered. Um, this does not include like donated supplies and the labor which some of the volunteers engaged in, but some specifics are during Hurricane Harvey, uh, CAC delivered 3,500 bottles of water, uh, a whole pallet, to a nursing home of over 200 people where it was literally a life-threatening situation and people were severely dehydrated and some of them had even started drinking out of a dirty water fountain. I- I'm not kidding you. Um, during Hurricane Florence, uh, we had a, a TSP a listener um, and volunteer who worked with the Cisco Corporation in Raleigh. And uh, your TSP listener, uh, show listener, uh, showed CA, uh, sh- showed Cisco what we were trying to do, and they opened up their office space and storage and encouraged their employee employees to get involved. And, oh, man, did they ever get involved. It was amazing. And then during Hurricane Michael, while we were resources were a little bit limited after a successful deployment in North Carolina, we were still able to successfully deploy in Florida, even though it was kind of scaled back a bit. Um, this was, again, in large part due to a single TSP listener who was a safe haven volunteer who decided to offer up uh, secure storage for our supplies. And that volunteer was able to mobilize a lot of local friends and neighbors. Uh, during uh, during the hurricane deployment, we, we also had some amazing instances of synchronicity or providence, depending on how you look at it. 
we know that, um, as you might know, we call a lot of businesses to try to gather free supplies during a disaster and to help try to find partners to assist with our efforts. And after Michael, the only church out of 50 that we called happened to be one in which our safe haven volunteer personally knew the pastor and his wife. This led us to partnering with the church, which was able to help us get our supplies to some remote areas because they had they had built up a a, a thirty person ATV brigade, so we they really helped get our supplies out there, and we also of course tried to help them out with some fuel as well. But we were introduced to one volunteer who was focused on food tents um, after uh, after Michael, and those food tents fed over two thousand people, including victims and volunteers and responders, and we we. We obtained some coolers and some ice and tried to help support those activities as well. Um, there's, uh, we had, <laughs> this is so strange, Jack, but we had that person introduced us to another person who was putting together a supply delivery from a little town in Sturgis, Michigan. Uh, there was a church that uh, wanted to send a truck full of supplies down to Florida. So we searched our volunteer list and discovered to our amazement that we actually had a, a CAC volunteer in Sturgis. It was totally amazing. And so this volunteer used some CAC funds to help add to those supplies that uh, the local church was collecting. And that's a good example why we want volunteers in all 50 states because you just never know where that support is going to be needed or where it can come in handy. And then lastly, for, for Michael, we... We did a hurricane resource mapping experiment, which led to three custom Google Maps. Um, these got 150,000 views in three weeks. Now, we're hoping that those views were mostly displaced persons or other relief workers, but there's no real way to tell. Sure. But, you know, those are a, good, uh, a few good highlights, and I can tell you that thousands of lives were touched by the kindness of strangers. And to your listeners' credit, more than half of the deployment volunteers were TSP listeners. So during during these deployments, you know, new bonds were built and existing ones were strengthened due to some of the CAC activities. You know, I've had some real moments of joy, and there's been a few prof of profound sadness. You know, it happens in every disaster. Uh, but I walked away proud to to have helped in a small way, and I know that all the other volunteers, the remote ones and the on on ground ones they did the same awesome man um what do you what would you say is new and different about cac now than when it was first put together yeah that's a great question i think there's really four main differences um before there was kind of a top-down approach it was kind of thought that you know, after we had our regional coordinators chosen that the volunteer base and the fundraising could grow from there. But unfortunately, it just didn't quite work out as well as, as it was first envisioned. So we learned. Now we're taking a, a more of a grassroots approach by building the volunteer base from the ground up, kind of like building the army before picking the generals. Mm. Um, be, before we... Well, hold on of, a second. That's yeah, actually yeah. very militia-like, right? So like the militia during colonial times, right? The militia that helped defeat yeah. the British. Yeah. That's exactly how it worked. Like the you got the you got the militia together and then you figured out well who's gonna be your lieutenants, who's gonna be your right. NCOs, right? That's kinda cool. I, I, I didn't really understand that y'all had kind of 
work that out. That's cool. Anyway, yeah, go it's, ahead. It's kind of a, uh, a shift in mentality. And, you know, of course, every organization has to learn, and there will be adjustments as we go along, always will be. Um, another good uh, difference is uh, the fundraising, which before we really only did during a crisis and when it was really super needed. Um, but we're learning to raise funds in new and different ways before the disaster strikes. Mm-hmm. Now we're trying to do the fundraising all year round. We've discovered the real true cost of operating in a highly regulated nonprofit industry. Um, you know, for example, the state of ju- the, the cost of just state fundraising compliance alone is going to be over $2,000, which is actually quite ridiculous. Um, but we're doing it because we have to. And in fact, um, you know, in Washington, D.C., sorry if you live there, we simply refuse to take funds from Washington, D.C., because their compliance rules are so unbelievably restrictive that it's just not even worth it. You know it. what? I endorse that decision because no one from there is donating anyway. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm telling you. The people that, you know, I, we might have one or two people that live there, and I'm sorry, but the majority of the people that live in the district are why we built this in the first place. Go ahead. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this is a real big eye-opener when you look at 40 different states with 40 different rules, tons of legalese, and a bunch of BS. But the good news is we're we're saving probably – $3,200 just by dividing and conquering amongst ourselves and, and chipping away at the compliance. So whatever the fees are, we've saved way more than that by doing it ourselves, and that's truly amazing. Um, one of the other things that's a little bit different uh, is that we've previously kind of been spur of the moment with our deployments, and, and this is definitely changing. We're trying to create more advanced pre-disaster planning, to make deployments easier to do, and hopefully, if the funds are there, to do more of them. Um, also, our organization before was not just really not great at transparency, but now we've got a company phone number with voicemails. We've got branded emails so people can reach out to the leadership. We've obtained the prized platinum seal of transparency from GuideStar, which is going to help us in our grant writing and allows us to do some fun stuff with fundraising on Facebook. Um, And our new board of directors has developed an important strategic plan to help kind of make CAC transparent to the public and to guide it in the coming years. And in fact, for anybody who's really interested, uh, our annual reports, the governing documents, the leadership team, all that stuff is now available on the website, uh, CACteam.com. Awesome stuff, man. What are some of the things that CAC has learned by experience that will help it, you know, going forward into the future now? Yeah, uh, I think we, I think CAC has learned quite a lot. And again, I can just kind of quickly go through four important learnings. We learned that we really needed to have systems and technology in place that would help make it easier for the volunteers, make it easy for the bookkeepers, and make it easy for the board as well. We realized that we needed to have core supporters and backups for them in place before the disaster so we can kind of try to prevent deployment burnout. Um, we have also learned that we need to grow our fundraising skills to keep donors engaged and informed 
so that we can rely on funding and coming in year round again instead of just during disasters and lastly we learned that for deployments and this is kind of an interesting learning when conditions are right we've learned that we can use amazon to more efficiently deliver supplies to our volunteers which saves a ton of time a ton of labor and a lot of money and this doesn't strip the local communities of supplies which puts less pressure on rapidly diminishing local resources. So considering that we're all volunteers and not paid professionals, working smarter and not harder is, is really the key, the, the key learning here. Awesome stuff, man. Um, what are some of the challenges that still lie ahead for you guys? Well, there's two main ones uh, that come to mind. Uh, our biggest challenge by far is, is filling out our core team of volunteers, kind of like our own Minutemen. <laughs> okay. uh, there's lots of work to be done year-round, and even more so when there's a deployment. Uh, second biggest challenge, I would say, is the year-round fundraising because, uh, well, we have several things that were – uh, to help us do this, uh, including our, our very first ever uh, Silver Challenge pledge drive. Um, uh, by the way, thank you, Jack, for being one of those pledge drive supporters. <laughs> we're, we're looking for 100 folks be, who are willing to pledge uh, a total of uh, $240, and those who are able to complete their tax-deductible pledges will receive a, a custom-minted one-ounce CAC Silver round. And we did kind of a soft launch, but we're currently at uh, 41% of our total uh, $24,000 goal. Very happy. Um, this has all been done through emails and Facebook, so hopefully some of your, your listeners will be inspired to, to join us in that fundraising effort. And they can certainly learn more at uh, CACteam.com. Well, I, let me just say on that, like, so... When I found out about that, I was like, so there's a thing. Why didn't you guys tell me about this thing so I could tell other people about this thing? So I'm going to promote the hell out of it. But I figured I yeah. found out about it like last week, and I'm like, well, I got, I got, I got P.A. Prepper coming on the show next week. I'll just <laughs> let him make the announcement on the air. But yeah. the coin yeah. is beautiful. And oh, I don't know that, that, that character on that front of it looks awful familiar, you know? <laughs> well, you know, we were able to get with Nicodemus to help us way back in the day, and uh, he did a fantastic job for us on on the logo. It's, it's pretty nice, and yeah, it was. We kind of wanted to see what would be possible without a bunch of fanfare. Just learning to speak to our existing base and see what that level of support was before we went public, and. Um, you know, we had never done this before, so it was uh, we'd never done a fundraiser, we'd never uh, or a pledge drive, we'd never raised money outside of a disaster. We didn't have really great communication with our with our donors before, so very big learning experience. But uh, we're super excited, and I'm really confident that uh, with the help of TSP and others, that we will be able to reach our goal. So thanks again. Hey, no problem. And I, I remember I looked at it today. I think you guys are close to fifty percent funded on that. Yeah, we've uh, well, we've reached. Let me, uh, let me look 40, it up. 40, yeah, you guys are forty-one uh, percent. Yep, forty-one percent. You've kind of under the radar flown. You learned yep. some things like Jack Spearco doesn't read his email because <laughs> um, I found out about it on Facebook, which was cool though, right? Like right, I, right. I'm tooling around the Facebook forum and I'm like, what? Who got what? <laughs> Silver coin. Oh. No, I buy silver. What the hell, <laughs> right? So, 
Believe so, me, if we if we had gotten to like fifty sixty uh, percent or something, somebody would have been driving over to your house knocking on the door. You know? <laughs> so I, I think that's really cool, and we'll make sure there's links to the main website today, but awesome. also down to the the 2019 pledge drive. And yeah. I think that's only that's the only way you're going to get one of these. And I'm sure you guys you didn't make like a million of them or something, right? Like no, right? There's like they're gone, they're gone type of thing. Exactly. Uh, it, it's limited edition. Um, the mint that we chose, um, Silvertown Mint, they they've been such an awesome partner. Their their minimum order was only fifty, so we doubled that because we really we did our you know the budget planning and that kind of thing, and we thought you know a hundred core supporters would at least let us do one or two decent deployments a year. So if we can keep that hundred every year, then everything else we get that's not a pledge. Is extra. It's gravy on top. Mm, very good. And I've I've really been impressed with how well y'all been able to stretch money. I know some of the compliance crap you got to do. Oh God. Um, but things like yeah, well we we went and we bought all this stuff and we took it to people. But then if you look at the total that's done on that deployment, you know there's thousands upon thousands of additional dollars worth of stuff to <laughs> yeah. get to people because you do a real good job of hitting up business and going like. Hey, you know, it might be really good if you're seen as the business that is helping rather than yep. price gouging. So, like, yep. we're going here, and if you have anything, we can. And I'm, I'm getting a little facetious, honestly, because most most people do want to help, and what they're looking for is, well, how do I get this stuff to these people? Yeah. Because when you call up the bigger charities, what do they always say? Go to our site, and make a donation. And, right, and CAC is right. not going to say, hey, don't donate. But when you have stuff, we're like. We'll get it to us, and we'll get it to people. Right. The, exactly. the, the converse is stupidity, and it's why this organization exists. Um, an example, the uh, Harvey hurricane. Yeah. There were several people that came and stayed at my home, kind of as it, like, it wasn't a base because I'm too far away, so it was like right. a stopping point in between. Well, I get on next door and say, hey, I got people coming here. They got trailers. They got stuff. Like, anybody want to help? Lady that lives, like, about a mile away, but she has, like, a a church old like it needs she thinks she's going to fix it it needs a match to fix it and then to be rebuilt <laughs> but she's a really great gal and she has a ministry and she's like i have tons of clothes so they went down there with like a cargo trailer of clothing stacked to the roof nice so that was us hooking up with another charity there was zero cost involved people gave the clothes they got their write off with her charity for the value of the clothing no money exchange. We just took the clothing and gave it to people that needed it. We got in touch with like churches. You were part of mm -hmm. you know, like, yep. like who needs what? So like yep. instead of just like grabbing a bunch of clothes, like who needs what? I get with Michelle. Michelle's like, oh, we okay, fine, come get. And she had that stuff sorted out. We load the trailer up. Boom, it gets delivered to these couple churches. They distribute yep. to people who needs it. So when you look at the total spent on that deployment, that alone was probably thousands of dollars worth of clothing, and that's. One yeah. example, we did hundreds of hygiene kits. In fact, yep. I'm waiting for another disaster. I've got like 40 hygiene <laughs> kits in my garage that we didn't get anybody to pick up. Right. Yep. So, like, I have stuff staged here for the next time there's something in South Texas. Yeah, and I've got, I've got some other exciting news along that line, too, that we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. So what are some of your strategic goals? And obviously we have the pledge driver. Are there any other things that you're like, in 2019 or in the next two years, we want to accomplish this. Yeah, so our 
our vision is very similar to yours, and that's to make every household prepared for disaster so that organizations like CAC are not needed. And we would love more than anything to put ourselves out of a job. But the board of directors has established several goals for the organization to pursue in the next, say, one to three years. Uh, one of them is that we, we want to build a stronger volunteer participation uh, from the TSP listeners and beyond. We love our volunteers, and we want to keep them engaged all year round. Uh, secondly, we want to increase uh, our response capacity so that we can do what we do a little bit more, and a little bit bigger, and a little bit more often. And uh, thirdly, we, we want to improve our outreach and education, kind of the ability to prepare and educate people in every state all the time. You know, like, for example, um, uh, producing educational preparedness tips brochure or you know, evergreen social media posts, that kind of thing. And then the, the fourth big one is you know, we kind of touched on, and that's you know, expanding our fundraising all year round. Um, there's lots of ways in which they're planning to reach these goals, uh, so, but we still need everyone's help now, not, not just during a disaster. Very cool, man. So... What are some of the different ways that people can volunteer in CAC, and, and what can they expect when they sign up? Yeah. Um, there's two basic types of volunteers. We have remote volunteers, and we have on-the-ground volunteers. Right now, the on-the-ground volunteers are only really needed during deployments, but we do hope to change that as we eventually build out state-level teams as these teams will be the as these teams form, they'll kind of be the ones to help us with that community and and outreach all year round. Uh, remote volunteers are desperately needed all year round and during deployments. Uh, during deployments, we we need remote people to take shifts making phone calls, like I mentioned, to the churches looking for linens or you know to uh, places looking you know trying to receive buckets for the cleanup kits. Uh, monitoring our working teams that are on the on the road, you know, delivering supplies and, and doing intel. Uh, intel gathering kind of helps us um, define our mission and avoid some obstacles. And believe me, even a one-hour shift during a deployment, you know, to, to watch over uh, some of our, our team that are on the ground, even a one-hour shift is, is appreciated. Our, our year-round volunteers um, We'll take care of kind of day-to-day -day business for CAC, for example, bookkeeping and fundraising and volunteer onboarding, publicity, promotion, that kind of thing. And I can give you some ideas of, of, of some of the positions that we need to fill. Uh, so we have several teams in place. We have a, a communications team, a finance team, a volunteer management team, a tech team, and a logistics and deployment team. The communications team, the, the folks that we're kind of hoping to bring on board, we need we need some bloggers, we need uh, a couple of graphic designers, somebody who's good with public relations, and uh, some assistance with social media. The finance team, they're looking for uh, a finance associate, kind of an assistant, uh, to help with the day-to-day the -day stuff, and uh, a grant writer. Uh, I, I can't even believe I can't even imagine uh, what will happen with you know a couple of <laughs> good grants. Uh, it could change us a lot. Um, and the volunteer management team—they're looking for volunteer associates to help out the team leader and to help with the, the volunteer portal, which we're building out and uh, will launch uh, this year. Uh, our tech team uh, is looking for kind of general tech associate and uh, some website editors. 
And lastly, our logistics and deployment team, uh, those guys, um, remote crisis coordinators, kind of AKA Overwatch, because uh, safety is key, and uh, remote and local intel scouts to help us define those mis- uh, missions and obstacles, and on-site volunteers to help put together emergency kits and pick up local donations and actually deliver the relief supplies that we have. And, of course, local safe havens, because on occasion we will have people traveling from outside the area into the disaster, and we want to be able to try to have a safe place uh, for them to stay since they're from out of town and don't really know the area. You know, that last one is like one of the most important things we need. Um, And it's been amazing to me how somebody has always stepped up in all of these deployments and how big a deal it's been. Yeah. Because... The last thing we want to be as an organization is people that are making the job of first responders and the, the, the governmental organizations at all more difficult. We yeah. don't want to be part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. And so you just can't hang out right. in Ground Zero, right? You go to Ground Zero. You do what you can. But these people need a place to sleep, you know, yep. to take a shower, Yep. And, and sleep is like the most important thing. It seems totally unrelated, but what it makes me think of, and I don't know if you've been to, because I said Ground Zero and it just flooded back to me, but on 9-11, when the towers collapsed, there was this little chapel that's like right down by the World Trade Center. And this is like a church that like George Washington went to. That's how long this thing's been there. Right. And like everything fell around it, and it was like a Providence thing. Like nothing touched it. Right, like it was completely untouched, unscathed by, and it's when you go to it, you don't realize how close it is until you're there. You're like, "Wow, how did that fall down?" And but it just did. Yeah, and it was the place that all of these like firemen and just volunteers and all, like when they needed a break, they could just go there and just hit the floor and sleep. Or like people came in locally and gave them massages and stuff like that, and there was food and water and stuff. And it's like. It's nowhere near as big in comparison, but that's what somebody's house is. When yeah. well, I'm I'm totally okay, you know, but I'm 30 miles away from where everybody's screwed. So come yeah. park in my yard, set up your tents, use whatever, use our water here. You know, you know, you guys go work for the day, and when you come back, here's a pot of chili. Like right. that is so important and so enabling in the work that the volunteers do. And the beautiful thing is that when you do this during a time of crisis, the enthusiasm is contagious. So even after the disaster, everyone who was involved feels empowered. Like we could do this again, even if CAC didn't exist. And that's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Awesome, man. So one of the things that people want to know is, like, how can they financially support? We talked about the pledge drive, and that's $240, bucks and you get a coin as long as you're one of the, you know, first 100 people to do it. But, yeah. like, some people don't have 200 bucks. They can give 10 bucks, 20 bucks, or some people are like, I don't need a coin, man, and I believe in this, so here's a grand. Like, how, how, what is the best way for people that do want to do a straight financial support? Yeah, so we did talk about the pledge drive, which... Um, is really fun and exciting for us. Uh, but we realize that you know, not everybody can make that level of commitment. But we've tried to make it very easy to donate whatever you can, whenever you can. We have a payment um, 
processor uh, uh, partner called WePay, which actually allows folks to you know uh, pay the processing fee for us, and it actually ties right into the bookkeeping system, so it helps us make um, accounting more efficient. Um, PayPal. Um, we even have some folks that will send in a check. Uh, so whatever way that you want to pay, we can accommodate. Uh, we also have um, folks that are donating Amazon gift cards, uh, the, the little codes that you buy, mm. by e- by emailing them to our finance team at c- uh, finance at cacteam.com. Unfortunately, with, this, with the Amazon gift card codes, we can't really give donation receipts for these, but sure. we will still use them. Um, we, we have an Amazon Smiles partnership. This is kind of like uh, your Amazon affiliate deal. So if people sh- go to cacteam.com and then uh, at the bottom of our page, there's a link to the Amazon Smiles. Uh, when they shop, they get a, a CAC gets a, a little piece of that purchase back. And that has started to grow over the last year. Um, because we've been compliant and because we've reached that level of transparency with um, with uh, GuideStar, we're, we're now able to have people doing personal fundraisers on, uh, on Facebook. So if you go to the Citizens Assisting Citizens Facebook page, again, link on our website, uh, you can actually click on a button that says create a fundraiser. And that fundraiser, like I, I did it for my birthday. Some, somebody else, we got like three or four or five people doing it as like birthday fundraisers. And we've already raised hundreds of dollars doing that. So we know that it works and it's super duper easy. Um, we've, we have a platform. There's a platform called G2 Crowd. And this is a platform that allows you to take surveys about software that you use and you can, and you can earn Amazon gift card codes. And up to $40 by reviewing just four software tools. And who doesn't use four software tools? Almost everybody uses four software tools. And it takes such a little time to, to do the surveys that it, that it's a really easy way. And uh, a lot of us have been doing these surveys and then just emailing our gift, uh, Amazon gift card codes off to the finance team. But you can also check with your employer to see if they have a matching donations program. We may be able to help your donation go even further if they have such a program, like a matching uh, matching funds or uh, type program. And then we also have a quick kind of a quick pay PayPal link, which is paypal.me slash CAC team. This simple little quick link, everyone can carry on their phone. And if you meet a friend or a family or a church or anyone who believes in the work that CAC does, you can just share that link to them and immediately they can donate, which is fantastic. They don't have to go to the website or anything. And of course, anyone can help spread the word about our, our fundraising by, by liking and commenting and spreading the word by uh, email and social media. But even if you're the kind of person that wants to help, you've signed up as a volunteer, but you just don't have the funds, I want to let you know that your time is just as valuable to us. In fact, the government says your volunteer time is worth $24.69 an hour. Hmm. But to us, it's priceless. Can we talk as we finish up here, Josh, a little bit about like what – CAC is geared best to do. Like, there'll sure. be like a, a disaster once in a while. And I'll hear for people like, are they deploying there? And I'm like, well, you know, I still am kind of an unofficial advisor, yeah. but I don't control that. 
But I mean, what I said during the intro was that really you guys are best geared for things like hurricanes, where the, the yeah. scope of the impact is very widespread, yeah. and there are areas where people are simply not getting help. Like when there's a tornado, like I don't know whether you guys are going to do anything with it or not, but we just had this tornado in Alabama, yeah. and I don't mean to diminish this in any way, but the area of impact compared to something like Harvey or Sandy yeah. is relatively small. So we... I do come down hard on, like, Red Cross because they took a half a billion dollars in and mm -hmm. built, like, one field of crap in Haiti. So I do. But generally speaking, in the United States, when there's a disaster, the larger organizations do deploy, the first responders do deploy, and they do a fairly good job. It is these big, widespread things where there's just whole areas where there's no one doing nothing. Yeah. So, like, how do you guys decide? Because, like, you can't deploy to everything. You only have so big a staff. Yeah. How do you make a determination? Do we or don't we deploy to this? And what are you best suited to do? Right. So, as you might imagine, everyone who gets involved with a, with a disaster relief organization has really giant hearts. We, we want to help everybody all the time. But as you mentioned, the practical reality is we do only have so much funds and we do only have so many volunteers to work with. And no matter how much we want to, it's just not always practical or, or pragmatic to do so. What we have found is, as you mentioned, that uh, hurricanes do seem to be an area where we can we can get in, or we, we can assess the needs, we can dump as much time, money, and volunteer power as we have as quickly as we can and get the hell out of the way. And this is easier to do in these, for us, uh, in these larger scale disasters because the media and the large organizations, they're always right there in the center. And meanwhile, there's all these outlying zones that are just equally devastated and getting no attention, getting no help, And they're desperate. And so we're the kind of group that would try to, rather than trip over each other in the middle of ground zero, we're going to nibble away at the edges the best that we can. And when there is surplus that can be filtered into ground zero, we will. But uh, because we're small, because we have limited resources, uh, we, believe me, everybody wishes we could do it all the time, 24 hours, nonstop. Everywhere in the country, there is always something that we could be helping with. But the uh, the hurricane aftermaths tend to be an area that we, we do best in. Because what we don't do, we don't show up and say so much like, well, we're here to help, which is what most organizations do. We go and find people not getting help and give them right. help. Right, that yep. was the entire point of this. Yeah. Like, okay, you cameramen are filming the people eating out of the dumpster. Why don't you feed them? Because I know you people have food, right? Like, right. Why, like, why don't you give them some food? And so, yep. like, that was an example of like what spurred this on. So, when you have these widespread disasters, it's not hard to find people that need help. That's when right. you have the smaller areas, so many people show up to help at one time, it, it ends up being where like everything will put it in a pile. Yeah, and so like I that, that's why I love the way you guys have like grown this organization, and I would bet if you if you grow large enough, if a lot of these initiatives work out, then you may deploy to more things. Like you'll be more right. suited to do that. But right now, like 
if you guys can do two deployments a year, that's huge. Yep. That's yep. massive. I mean, yep. it's a very small number of people making a big impact. Yep. Exactly. And, you know, again, not to disparage the larger organizations, but we definitely don't want to be, we don't want to be them. No. We don't want to be Red Cross 2.0 or FEMA version 3.0. And, and while we do bump into them, um, like during the, the, the food tents, the feeding tents, you know, the, the support, the relief workers from all over the place, uh, we do, we do bump into them. Uh, we never, we, we were, we truly try to stay out of the way and, and not be a problem for them. But, uh, they're, they're, we're, but we're open to the idea that maybe there's a time where, let's say, for example, we don't have the resources, but, one of our contacts says, hey, they've got supplies and they don't need your money. They just need help getting them somewhere. Well, the let's logistics, work. right? Yeah. Right. The logistics part. So we, we're not a search and rescue group. We're not the Cajun Navy. We're not a medical, uh, uh, trained medical team. We're regular folks with regular skills. We do have some some more tactical folks in the in the mix as well but but for the most part everyone is just regular people trying to do something from their heart for people they don't know because you know what someday any one of us could be in that situation yeah and i mean the thing is like when it comes to like somebody completely putting their life back together there's resources for that that takes time like the point of cac is this person's hungry now let's feed them this person has a dead cell phone and their family doesn't know they're okay. Let's help them get in touch with their family so their family knows they're okay. You know, this person doesn't have water. Let's put water in them before they're dehydrated. This kid's, you know, this, this family's kids need a bath. Let's set up an area here where the kid can get clean. You know, yep. this kid's got a, a, a diaper full of crap and they have no diapers left. Here's a, here's a box of diapers. Like, this is an immediate, this is like disaster first aid. Yeah, like that's yeah. what CAC does well. It's disaster first aid. Let's get you through this initial. Because I think another thing that people don't realize is, like, people are in such shock that this actually yeah. came into their lives. They can't process it. They can't yeah. deal with it. So there's times where you might look at somebody and go, well, "Why don't they just do this?" I don't know. Why don't I stick a nail through your hand and see if you can think? Right? <laughs> like, because it's kind of what it's like. Like they've been just clubbed over the head, and they don't know what they do. And they need some sort of a reset button, like a reboot on a router hit, like, okay, sit down, eat some crackers, yep. drink some water, let's get your devices charged, here's some yep. clothes, here's some pampers for your kids, this is where there's a, a shelter down the road, since you do have a vehicle that's working, yep. we're going to go help somebody else. And, and that lets that person go like, okay, first of all, somebody gives a damn. Right. And second of all, okay, it's good. What that does is it, it that reboot is actually, you know what? It is going to be okay. I yeah. am going to be able to fix this. And then, honestly, that person, like, figuring out how to get their house rebuilt or do they move or do they double up? Like, they have to do that. Like, we can't do that for them. Correct. But we can apply that first aid so that they can get, you know, out. it's like shock treatment. Like, the person's got to bleed, but they're not going to bleed out and they're in shock. What do you do first? Treat the shock because it can become terminal. Then you treat the bleed, right? So, yeah. when so that's whole, what we do. When your whole world is turned up to side down and it's absolutely abnormal, that little tiny piece of normalcy, like a toothbrush, a washcloth, and some soap, it it's amazing what something so small can mean when 
your whole world has crumbled around you. It, it's inspiring to see people willing to do that. It's heart wrenching to see the people who need that. But giving people a little sense of normalcy is sometimes the first step to regaining their whole life back. Yeah. The worst days of their life. And we try to make those a little bit better. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you and the work that everybody that's part of the CAC team organization has done. And I appreciate you being with us today. Again, remind people how they can find out more and help you guys out. Sure. Uh, the best way is through our website, CACteam.com. You know, CAC is proof that many hands and, and, and donations make for lighter work. And it's really proof that regular citizens can come together and, and help their fellow citizens in times of need. And if you want to be a volunteer, we, I mentioned we do have a volunteer portal that we're working on. You could still sign up today, but we're going to have to kind of put you back through the, the new portal once that launches. Um, but the financial support is immediate. It's real, and it's something you can totally get involved with um, just by going to the website. And, and lastly, Jack, I just wanted to you know, thank you for always having been a supporter. We're, we're going to try to work really hard to continue to make you proud. Well, you guys certainly have, and Josh, I appreciate you being with us here today on the show. Thank you, Jack. All right, guys, great interview with Josh again. Really good dude. He's been you know, supporting me and my work in the community for a very, very long time, and uh, glad to have him part of CAC. And again, if you guys, you know, you know, when you look out at the world and you think, I want to make a difference and you want to be charitable and you want to help somewhere, CAC is a place that you know you can trust to be a good steward of your of your charity. And I don't even like the word charity. To be a good steward of your investment. That's the word that I like best when it comes to helping out organizations like CAC or anybody. The only thing that I find is a value in the concept of charity in the way that CAC does it is it helps you protect your money from the government. You know, when you make that donation to a nonprofit like CAC, you get to directly deduct it from your income, and that reduces your tax footprint. And at least some portion of that money now goes somewhere where you control what it does versus where they do. So that is that is the only important thing to me about a place you know the thing being a nonprofit or a a recognized uh, charity or something like that because I try to look at it like if I see somebody that needs help like an individual and even if I can't get a tax deduction if if I invest in them either with my time, my effort, my money, all three whatever it is and they do better, I've invested in something that will grow. That's how I see CAC. We have no idea who the next person is that will be helped, who will then turn around and help somebody else, who will then turn around and help somebody else because of organizations like CAC. So do consider supporting them. The other thing you might consider is supporting me and my show, The Survival Podcast, that you listen to. And the beauty of that is you don't have to do it as a charity. It can be looked at as an investment, but it's, it's not a charity. We are not PBS. You do not give me $100 and I send you a $2 shopping bag. That is not how this works. You support the show at $50 a year. You get discounts to about 80 different vendors, and I've got another one coming for you right away. It's going to be awesome. And then you use the discounts, you get your money back, and you support the show. To learn more, go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. Next up, the other way you can support us, do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com, tspaz.com. 
We have, you know, everything I've ever reviewed on Amazon on the website is there. It's alphabetized by category. You can get over and see the deals of the day. It doesn't matter what you buy. As long as you start your shopping at tspaz.com, you help support us in the work you do, the work that we do. I brought an item around today, a technological product, right? Technology product. Um, that I brought around a few times, but I brought it today because not only is it great, it's on sale. It is the TP-Link Archer C7 wireless router. So I went through three different routers here at my place, and I was, I'll admit it, I was a dick to the people at uh, Comcast. Because by my third router, I was convinced it must be them. Three different routers, and I'm having all these problems and drop signal and intermittent problems and everything. And I was a, not a very nice man to the person on the other end of the, the line. But that person on the other end of the line, unlike the other people, actually wanted to help me and said, Sir, why don't you just try unplugging, you know, plugging your computer directly into the modem and skipping the router and see what happens? So I did. Everything worked just fine. And uh, I thought, man, kind of mean. But, you know, he was upset. No one else was helping me. I said, i got to find a new router. I went out and found this router. And uh, I, I seldom take the New York Times at their words, but they referred to this router as the best router for the most people. And I decided to give it a shot. That was almost three years ago now. I still have the same router. I have no problems. This thing is awesome. And it's on sale right now for $23 off, $56.99. That is a hell of a deal on a great piece of technology. There's also a Wi-Fi extender that goes with it if you need to have your signal reach further. And that's on sale for $10 off. So you might want to check it out. Here's what I wanted to tell you about this product today, though, that I don't think I've ever really talked about in the past. You get a uh, smartphone app, works with Android, iPhone, etc., called Tether, that works with this router. And this is what it allows you to do. Let's say you do have a problem. Like, you're watching Netflix, and it's, it's, not, it's not streaming well. It needs, you can tell you just need a reboot. What do you normally do? You get up and go all the way to the other side of the house and manually reboot the router. Now, with this, you pull up your Tether app, you pull the router up on it, say reboot, and it reboots your router. Cool, huh? You know what else is cool? One of my favorite tools for discipline, I prefer the term motivation, for my son, uh, when he was young, you know, 15, 16 years old, like, hey, wash the dog, hey, get this thing done at school, hey, clean your room, I would go into my office and manually change the password on the Wi-Fi router. And it was amazing. Like, I could yell at him for days and he wouldn't do it, but once I turned that off, he'd come to me, oh, I can't get on the internet. Oh, you want to use my wireless router? And my internet connection. You don't have an internet connection, and you don't have a wireless router, do you? I need your room clean, and I need your dog to get a bath. When you do that, I'll put the password back. With Tether, you can see all the devices on your network and, man and just click a thing and block them or unblock them. So if you want to use that motivational tool, and that teen of yours just isn't getting it done, oh, look at that. There's this tablet. Ah, off. But, Dad, hey. Do your homework or whatever it is. You know, why make discipline hard when it can be simply done with motivation, right? So that's just a little thought that I'll add to this. But this really is the best router I've ever used. I really do think it is the best router for the most people. If you've been thinking about an upgrade, um, I don't know how long the sale is going to last. It'd be a good time to go ahead and get one. Again, I've, I've been using it for three years. When something like this works bulletproof for three years, it's unusual. It really is. I mean, you don't expect to get three years out of a consumer-level router. This is not like a, you know, a, a corporate network-level technology like I used to sell back in the day. 
Um, but, man, it just works. And it's had a couple spills off the desk because of my granddaughter, and it still works. So don't recommend you do that, but it does say something about the quality of electronics. That brings us to our song of the day, guys, and uh, it is Chris Stapleton week. And this song is called When the Stars Come Out. And I have become a huge fan of Chris Stapleton. I have a Pandora station dedicated to Chris Stapleton. I just love the guy's voice. I love that he's different. And as I said yesterday, some of his songs, they're good, but you don't really get to hear that voice, that unique voice come through. This one you do. But I got to admit, this is one of those songs that comes on my Pandora station all the time, and I just like it. And I never really thought about it, the meaning, or really, really listened to the lyrics. I thought it was about when the stars come out, you know. Well, it is, but not those kind of stars. So Chris was like somewhere in L.A. or something like that, and at a hotel, and he looks up. He can't see any stars because the city lights are drowning them out. And he looked around on the street, and everybody looked like they were somebody. Everybody looked rich and famous. Everybody looked important. Of course, most of them weren't, but... Well, looked that way, and he started thinking, well, maybe they really are all the Hollywood stars. And maybe they shine so bright that they drowned out the stars like the city lights. Well, it made an interesting song, but I prefer to think about this another way. You know, when I'm somewhere and I look up at the sky and I can't really see many stars, I'm not really interested in the people that are around me. I'm interested in getting the hell away from them. I want to put those city lights in my rearview mirror, drive out into the country, pull out off the side of the road somewhere where it's nice and open, shut off every single light in that vehicle, kick the seat back a little bit and look up through a moonroof is nice with it open, and see so many stars that it looks like black sackcloth with a million holes in it and a bright light on the other side, where you can see the bands of the Milky Way. To me, this is the way that humans were really meant to live. So with all due respect to Chris Stapleton, whose music I love, whether you meant it or not, that's what this song's all about for me. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And limousines, and the grass seems so much greener. All we wanted was to get there fast, so we packed up everything we had. Running on hope and a tank of gas, like dreams ain't just for dreamers. We couldn't wait to leave that life behind, trying to find salvation in that. Little limit sign And one of those LA nights When the stars come out Oh, the stars come out And shine And the burn so bright They drown the downtown lights When the stars come out Oh, when the stars come out Everybody, somebody, someday Everybody's got a part to play Everybody's trying to find a way To say what needs saying Everybody's got a friend of a friend 